Hey guys, welcome back. Today we're going to be going through 1 Peter 3, verses 17 to 22. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been fully subjected to him. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil if it's God's will. That's the kicker I've wrestled with for ages. What is God's will with suffering? And why would he desire that his children suffer? Then again, why would God ever let Jesus, his perfect son, suffer for us? Clearly, we can all agree that suffering for doing evil is simply a natural consequence, but suffering for doing good is atrocious to us, because it isn't right. Then there's the factor of the devil, the one who wants everyone to suffer, whether for bad or good he cares little. Jesus suffered that he might bring us to God. Do we suffer in his footsteps that we might bring this world to God as well? The righteous for the unrighteous? Divine comedy indeed. He suffered that we might bring he might bring us to God. What a motivation. He wanted us to be united with God so badly that he suffered so we could be with him forever. I have to admit, I have been putting off studying this section because there's so much in here I don't understand, but I'm convinced it will shape me due to what God has been showing me. Jesus went before us in all things. His flesh was put to death so his spirit could come alive. I wonder, did Jesus' death release the Holy Spirit to indwell all of us? Perhaps only a few had the Spirit prior to Jesus because the Spirit could only be in one person at a time. I wonder if his death released his Spirit to indwell all of his followers at once. I could totally be wrong, but I like I get the point is that he went before us in killing the flesh, not just his body, but like the sinful flesh, so he could be made alive in the Spirit, not just as an eternal soul. Death, thanks to Jesus, is our freedom from the flesh and all its tendencies. This next bit has always puzzled me, though. Why is Jesus going back to the deceased spirits of dead men from Noah's generation? What's the point of preaching to dead people? Could the spirits in prison mentioned be genuine spirits, rather than the souls of the dead? Was God punishing and imprisoning the spirits who deceived Noah's generation with unbelief and led them to an untimely death? Is he rubbing rubbing it in their faces that they didn't succeed and that the prophecy came true after all and God kept his word? It says they formally didn't obey, but a few were brought safely through the water, and then it goes into the baptism analogy. Does Peter specify eight persons to contrast the disobedient imprisoned spirits, or were those spirits people from Noah's day after all, since they're contrasted with the human survivors? Could there have been a far more powerful spirit at work in Noah's day, which led to such prolific wickedness, who were imprisoned so that they couldn't cause further mischief to future generations? Then the bid on baptism is equally odd, saying it saves us as an appeal to God to grant us a clear or good conscience due to Jesus' resurrection. 
his resurrection granting us eternal life and future resurrection with glorified bodies and new life is crazy to me. It's this last verse that really gets me, though. Jesus is in heaven at God's right hand, and all spiritual influences have been subjected to him. All angels, authorities, and powers are under his authority and rule now. The cross wasn't merely a victory in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. He gained lordship over both on that day. The power was tipped unquestioningly towards God, and nothing could resist or challenge Jesus any longer. I think we too often limit the cross to the human agonies of suffering, when the spiritual agonies, I think, were far greater the hurdle. I can't even imagine the spiritual warfare that must have been happening on the cross as Jesus single-handedly faced and defeated all spiritual powers. Angels, authorities, and powers. I wonder what the roles and statuses of each of these was or is. There's far more to the spiritual realm than I think any of us fully grasp, but the point is, Jesus won, and his victory is ours. It's mine, personally. If any of those powers mess with me, I can have confidence in faith, because according to Jesus, they're all answering to him now, and I can remind them of that personally.